Shall we pray together as we start? Well, we thank you so much that we can gather and we can delve into your scripture this morning. Lord, as we do, Lord, may we be attentive to your spirit, hearing what you might be saying to us individually. Lord, challenge us so that we don't leave this building this morning unchanged. In your name, Father. Amen. Amen. So Rob started our uh, three-week series on Amos last week. He looked at Amos chapter 2. Today I'm looking at a section of chapter 5. And Mark Millington next week will continue on in chapter 5. Now Rob did give us a brief background of Amos last week. But I thought that many of us may just need a reminder of that. And for people who weren't here, I thought that would be helpful. If you're like me, you probably don't read Amos on a particularly regular basis. So it might be good just to uh, put him into a bit of a scene before we start. So Amos was an ordinary man with an extraordinary message to the people of Israel. He was an ordinary man with an extraordinary message for the people of Israel. He wasn't trained in public speaking. He wasn't wealthy. He wasn't royalty. In fact, we see in chapter 7 that he is a shepherd and a fig tree farmer. He is an ordinary man. God called, in this instance, the ordinary man to speak some really quite tough words of judgment upon the people of Israel. Now, Amos lived in the time of King Jeroboam II on the border between northern Israel and southern Judah. Now, King Jeroboam II was quite a successful king, certainly in worldly terms. He gained so much land and territory for the people of Israel. Along that was incredibly wealthy. But as a result, the people of Israel became apathetic. They started to worship other gods than the Lord God. They started to neglect the poor. They started to allow injustice to reign. And so Amos is speaking into that time. Now the book has quite a simple uh, structure. Chapters 1 and 2 is Amos's message to the people of the nations and Israel. Chapters 3 to 6, they're actually a collection of poems that Amos will have said to the people of Israel. And chapters 7 to 9 are a compilation of Amos's visions for Israel. And we jump into one of these poems this morning in chapter 5. Please do have it in front of you on your phone or in the church Bibles because we will be working through it together. And I see three quite distinct sections to this. All starting with a reoccurring word that we see which is seek. Verse 4 starts with seek me and live. So I want to be looking at how we seek God, and particularly this section is seeking God and only God, and not worshipping other things. Second section we're going to look at in verse 6, seek the Lord 
and live? How do we actually seek God so that we can then be transformed into his likeness? And finally, I'm going to look at verse 14 where it says, seek good and not evil. So having been looking at the aspect of seeking God, being transformed into his likeness, we then need to look at what action we take. What action the Israelites should take as a result of seeking God through transformation and then being called into action. So that's where we're going today. So let's jump right into that first section about seeking God in truth and worship. This is verses four and five. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. God says at the start of this poem, seek me. Seek me so that you might live. Now, you know, if someone says something to you that is against what you're doing, it kind of makes you think, doesn't it? Because if God is saying to the Israelites, seek me and live, it kind of indicates that they are currently not seeking God and therefore not living. Before I trained to be a vicar and before I got ordained, I was a teacher, I taught design technology and maths. Now, the best maths homework to mark was the marks that got 10 out of 10. Because all you had to do is give them a big tick, and if you liked the child, maybe offer a well done. (laughs) But when it was less than that, when they got something wrong, you had to say what they got wrong, give them a bit of feedback as to how they could be better, give them a few pointers. You knew that if you didn't get 10 out of 10, you were going to have something said to you about how you could change how you could improve. And this is what this message is saying. God is saying, seek me and live, because at the moment you are not. And I want to show you how to seek me. But it's quite a confusing message, particularly to the Israelites, because these three places that he goes on to say, they are all places of pilgrimage, places where the Israelites would go certainly up to this point, to seek God in his presence. We see back in Genesis that Jacob goes to Bethel two times. And in the second time, this is Genesis 35, God reveals himself. That's what the text says. God revealed himself to Jacob. And Bethel, house of God gets its name from that experience. Would you not, as a Israelite, go to a place that you know one of the fathers of the faith really encountered God and God revealed himself to that person at that place? You would want to go, wouldn't you? You would want to go and seek God at that place like Jacob sought God in that place. And we do it now as Christians across the traditions. Let's take sort of more our tradition here. If we hear of a revival happening 
and we had the opportunity to go wherever that revival might be taking place across the globe, we would go, wouldn't we? We would want to go to that place and see God encountering people like we might have never have seen him encountering people before. We would want to be in that place to soak in God's presence and to seek him. Other traditions across the church, people visit places like Lindisfarne, Iona, Canterbury Cathedral. People go on pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Particularly Catholics will go to Lourdes in the south of France on a pilgrimage, all to seek God in those places. Yet there must have been something happening at Bethel for God through Amos to say, do not go there. Take Gilgal, the next place that's mentioned. Uh, we see in Joshua chapter 4 that the Israelites had their first encampment at Gilgal before reclaiming the promised land. And they set up a 12 stone monument there, which is seen as the shrine which proclaimed the inheritance and possession of the promised land according to the will of God. You would want to go there. You would want to pilgrimage there as a uh, member of the Israelites' family. Finally, Beersheba. Beersheba is associated with all three patriarchs of the faith. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Each of those three men went to that place and they received the promise there that God would be with them. So it's not surprising that the Israelites would go to those places to seek God. So why on earth is God saying through Moses, seek me and live and do not go, do not seek those places? We see in Amos chapter 4 verse 4, if you slightly flip back. That sin is taking place in Bethel and Gilgal. Now, it doesn't specifically describe what the sin is. But we know that in the reign of King Jeroboam II, that idolatry, the worship of other things, other gods than God alone, was rife. So it might be that in those places, they had set up idols and were not worshipping God. Equally, it might be that the priests at those shrines were saying, come to Bethel to have an experience at this place. In other words, that the place had become the reason to go rather than to seek God at that place. That there was something magical about that place rather than the work that God did does through that place. We don't know what it might have been, but we know that false worship in some way was happening in those places and that God was saying, seek me and only me, not those places. Now I think this has a real message for us today. What are our idols that we put ahead of seeking God and God alone? What deities might we be worshipping? 
that blocks us from seeking God and God alone? Is that materialism? I am working so hard to get the next car, the next house, the next gadget. Is it the worship of money? Is it sex? Is it pride? And the list goes on. What could be in that place blocking us from seeking God, how he wants us in the full extent of the measure to seek him? It's a challenge for us today to think personally about putting aside our love of money, putting aside our love of the new car, our love of ambition, our love of the iPhone XM, which if anyone does want to buy me, that's fine. (laughs) Seek God truly and seek him alone. That is what that first message says. Going on to our second uh, seeking. But how do we actually do that? How do we actually seek God and God alone? Because we've been told not to go to these places. We've been told not to put idols, other things ahead of God. But how do we, from a place here in this place, a place for the Israelites, how do they actually seek God? Well, let's turn to two verses of scripture that I think are helpful. This is 1 Chronicles 22 verse 19. It says... Now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. Colossians 3, 1-2 says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Verse 6. Seek the Lord and live. Many of you will know that I have just become ordained. I was ordained in June. And through the discernment process of becoming ordained um, and allowing to train, they offered whether I would like to do a degree in theology. So I said, yes, I would love to do a degree in theology. Thank you very much. And so three years up to my ordination, I was studying. I was reading. I was Uh, engulfed in the scriptures. My mind was totally set on studying who God was and gaining God knowledge. But that's not enough. That is not enough. That passage, or those two passages combined, says to seek God, we need to seek him with our heart, our soul, and our mind. Which is why the training course that I chose to do, I didn't go off to theological college, I didn't go off to seminary. I did it uh, alongside working for a church, being involved in a worshipping community. So three days of my week, I was in a church and my heart was seeking the Lord in worship. My soul was seeking to dwell in the presence of God, whilst my mind was also being filled Hopefully, at least, with some God knowledge. You could be the best theologian in the world and not be truly seeking God. You could be the person who has so much love for God 
but yet neglecting your mind and your soul in seeking the Lord as well. And you could say the same for your soul. It is a holistic seeking God with our hearts, our soul and our mind, which is so important. And it's so important so that we can be transformed. By seeking God with our hearts, our soul and our mind, we are transformed into his likeness. These are two verses of scripture which um, you may have heard before. This is Paul on both occasions. Firstly, to the church in Rome, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with an ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. By seeking God with our heart, soul and mind, we can be transformed. Let me give you an example. This is me before children uh, on a holiday. No, it wasn't actually. (laughs) This is my aim in life, possibly. But I do love rock climbing. Let's take an example of rock climbing, about how I can train my heart, mind and soul to be as good as I can. Firstly, for me to want to rock climb, I've got to have a love of rock climbing, yes? I've got to love the thing that I want to spend time doing, otherwise why would I bother doing it? Secondly, in order to get to this awesome stage, I need to train my body to be that fit, which currently it is not. I need to go and climb on walls, I need to go outside, I need to go to the gym, I need to train my body, my soul, in this example, so that I can actually do this. And lastly, I need to be technically minded. I need to read books, look at videos, watch other people climb so that my technique can get better and better. So that maybe one day I could do a climb like this. Seeking God is exactly the same. We need to seek him with our heart. We need to have primarily a love for God so that we want to do this. We then need to train our minds to read scripture. We seek God in the word. And lastly, our souls need to dwell in his presence through the various spiritual disciplines. Praying, fasting, being by ourselves and just dwelling with him. Otherwise, as it says in verse 6, God will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them and Bethel will have no one to quench it. In essence... If we don't seek God and seek God for our transformation, destruction can happen. Judgments can happen, which is not something we like to talk about, but that is what Amos says. And as we go to our final section, by seeking God and only God alone, by being transformed into his image, into his likeness, by seeking God with our heart, soul and mind, we then must action that out. If we are truly changed and transformed, our action must be to care for our neighbour, care for the poor, care for those who are oppressed. And this is specifically what Amos is rebuking in this passage, particularly verses 10 to 15. I'll just skip through those. Verse 11 says, You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. 
Verse 12 rebukes the oppressors of the innocent by saying that they take bribes and they deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Hence, at the end, and this is our third seek of verse 14, he says, seek good, not those evils. Seek good and not those evils. And verse 12 is probably, I think, the hardest hitting verse of this scripture. It says this. And remember, this is God speaking through Amos. For I know how many are your offences and how great your sins. If you heard that today spoke to us, that would make you listen, wouldn't it? The people of Israel hear Amos say, and it's, remember it's God speaking, he's a prophet, your sins are great, your sins are many. You have rejected the poor. You have oppressed the marginalised for your own gain. That is really difficult, really difficult to hear. And it would have been massively difficult for them to hear as well. And there are consequences that we see for that. It says, those who have built stone mansions will not live in them. Or those who have planted lush vineyards will not drink of its wine. The monetary rewards that the Israelites have built up through the oppression of the poor will be taken away from them. All that they have strived for, the idol of possession, wealth and money, will be stripped from them. Because they do not seek God in true worship. They are not being transformed into his likeness. And therefore they are not actioning that out with care for the poor. What about us? Because we've got to transpose this to be speaking to us today. Where are we likewise? Where are we likewise not seeking God truly, not being transformed into his image, but most importantly, because of the weight that Amos talks about it in this passage, where are we neglecting our neighbour? Where are we allowing oppression of the oppressed to happen? Where are we not feeding the hungry or clothing the needy? Where have we in our own lives taken our eye off the biblical call to love our neighbour? And what about us as a church? Where have we of a church taken our eye off the ball? Taken our eye off this parish and the town of Southport? Where are we not enabling the poor to flourish? Enabling the hungry to be fed? These are big questions that we need to continually ask ourselves. But it's not the end. There is a slight hope, and it is very slight, at the end of verse 15. God says, Seek good, not evil. Hate evil and love good. 
And perhaps the Lord Almighty will have mercy on the remnants of Joseph. In other words, the people of Israel. If we seek God with our heart, with our soul and our mind, we will be transformed into his likeness. If we then action that out by caring for those so deeply in need, the Lord may be merciful to us. Now, we see some of this action today. We see that we have collected for harvest, collected for those who are hungry in our town. We see that by the soup kitchen being changed into the Next Step Cafe, still giving food to those who so need food, but yet signposting them to their next step, whatever that might be. We are doing this as a church community. But where can we do more? Because if we are seeking God and God alone and being transformed, we need to action that out. Can I invite the band to come up, if that's okay? So Amos speaks challenging words to us this morning. Challenging words to the Israelites of rebuke. It's not a, not a pleasant message. It is a scary message, but it's a message that we need to hear. Where today, in our own lives, in the life of our church, are we not seeking God and God alone? What idols have we put in place of seeking God truly? Do you think that you are neglecting either your heart, your mind or your soul in seeking God as much as he wants you to seek him? Or maybe today you have been so challenged to think, yes, I am neglecting those around me in need. Whatever of those three challenges may be most prevalent to you, come and get prayed for. Come and get prayed for. We are a church family and we want to bless everybody together as that community so that we can all be transformed and all change as we leave this place. Shall we stand? I'm going to pray and then the band can do some worship. Lord, we repent of those times that we have not sought you and you alone. Lord, we repent of those times where we have not sought you with our whole heart, our heart, our whole soul, or our mind. And Lord, we so repent of those times where we neglect the calling of you, Jesus Christ, to love our neighbour in whatever way that looks for us. Lord, challenge us to change. Challenge us to be renewed.